Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're hearing our podcast, thank you for trying something new. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. In fact, I'm going to ask Ben to plug a couple of the recent publications he's written for. Go for it, Ben. You can find my work at Motor Trend, at Inside Hook, where I am now the automotive editor, and at Driving Line. Ooh, automotive editor. That's it. That deserves a clap, I think. So if you're if you're if you've got your hands free, why don't we give Ben a congratulation? I hope you have your hands free. I mean, unless you're driving. <laughs> Actually, I should add that, you know, now that I listen back to the start of our podcast, it's very much I, I give orders about to you. Throughout the whole the whole beginning, there, I'm just a trained seal for the purposes of the introduction. <laughs> and if I ask you to tell the people that you're not so you're not like I don't demand things from you, it just seems like uh, I'm playing into it even further. Yeah, you know, you can never really once you've established that air of authority, it doesn't dispel overnight. Well, um, do you want to ask me to do anything for the podcast? No, uh, the power dynamic between us is so unbalanced that I'm very uncomfortable even thinking about doing that. Okay. Well, you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as TechSpot and uh, EV Pulse. Ben, this week we've got some cars to talk about, which is pretty common. <laughs> we do that pretty It is a trend. It, yeah. if, you, if you start at the through line, if you make a through line from the first episode we did back in... I want to say 2017, 2016 actually, and then come to today, 208 episodes later, a lot of it's about cars. <laughs> yes. Like I would say 95% of it is about cars. 4% of it is about um, movies. Ro- that, robots. That, I think ro- okay, okay. Robots. 3% is about movies. 1% is about, about robots. And then the other 1% is complaining about CES. <laughs> That's right. Okay, well, there is no, I don't think there's much robot or CES talk this week. So, Ben, why don't you talk about the car that you've been test driving recently? Okay, so, yeah, the car I would test drove is robot adjacent, I would say. The same uh, lifeblood throwing through the, flowing through the veins of our eventual robot overlords is also what motivates the vehicle I drove this week. And that is the 2020, or sorry, 2021 Kia Niro EV. Okay, the Nero EV, and you say the robot adjacent because, yes, they all use electricity. What, what flows through the robots, unless there are robots that are flowing on, are, are, use, are energized by something else. Well, I possible? think the idea of a steam-powered robot is just too terrifying for me to even contemplate. Um, I think that when we look back on the history of mankind, if we're ever given that opportunity by our eventual masters, we'll regret and we'll, we'll celebrate and regret the day we invented electricity. But until I that see. happens, right now we're seeing this slow transition to electric vehicles in the automotive industry. And uh, Kia and Hyundai have been you know, doing a better job than most of their competitors, I would say, in offering affordable versions of those cars. Um, the Kira, Kia Nero EV is very closely related to the Hyundai, uh, what is it, Sammy? Kona Kona, EV? Kona Electric. And I think it has some some shared components with the Soul EV as well, which I've driven recently. I think they all have an almost identical drivetrain. In the case of the Kona, or sorry, the Nero, I guess they're both the same. Um, you're looking at a 64 kilowatt hour battery pack. So that gives you 239 miles of range. This is important because when I drove the vehicle, it was wintertime. 
And um, in the winter, you see about a 30% maximum cut in the amount of driving range you get from an electric vehicle. Because just like on a an, 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 uh, gas-powered engine, the, the cold has an effect. And, and in a regular gas-powered car, you know, you're running your headlights more often because it's darker in the winter. It's darker sooner, I should say. You're running your wipers. You have the heat on. You have all this stuff that's taking extra power. You don't notice it as much because you can easily refill the fuel in your tank. But in an EV, it's right in your face with the range number. Okay. And I, I, I saw a drop of about 20 miles from the 239-mile range that's offered by the Nero EV. That's not that bad. And in fact, that's actually really not that bad. Most I, of the time you see more than like 20% in some cases, right? With with really cold weather. And that seems like a little bit more than 10, right? And yeah, and, and the Kona actually from Hyundai has a slightly larger range. I think it's 258 miles using this similar drivetrain. So I I'm not sure the differences that drop it to 239 for for the Kia. But uh Maybe what I, weight or It could um, be the weight, it could be better dynamics. I think the Nero came out first and I think that that might have it might be the battery management software. Oh right. which plays a, a large role in um range especially. Uh but what I also liked about the vehicle was the regenerative braking was very, very good at keeping on top of the range and topping things up. So there were times where if I went on the highway right away after, you know, charging it up full at my house, if I had the regenerative braking set fairly aggressively, I would get messages on the dash that would tell me um, a, a, a regenerative braking not available, battery full. And that's something I've very rarely seen in an EV. I certainly never sold that in, saw that in the Bolt when I was driving it in the winter. Uh, it was always taking power from the regenerative brakes at all times. But the Kia was good enough at keeping itself topped up that there were times where it just cut off that lifeline completely. So that's, that's really interesting because in my experience, one of my favorite things about the Kona Electric was it had a little like uh, symbol or, or logo that popped up and said, you're saving um, or you're regenerating this much um, range through your your every time you break, and I thought that was really cool. Um, it shows the actual efforts. Of, I don't know if it's true or not, but it like made you think about how you're breaking every time. Um, and regenerative breaking is a great way, or at least dragging out those breaks and hoping to get a little bit um, more of a measured stop is a little bit better than than just slamming on the brakes. Uh, when it comes to an electric vehicle, yeah, and I also I, I tried to do a little bit of the one pedal driving, uh, where you have the the brakes are set. Sorry, the regenerative braking is set so aggressively that like once you take your foot off the accelerator, you don't have to use your brakes. It yeah. it'll actually stop the vehicle, and the Kia will do that. Um, I'm not super comfortable doing that because it's hard to judge how much distance you need to stop and also in the winter with but hold on ben it doesn't disable the brake pedal you can just press the brake pedal no i know but i don't i don't want to like you know what you end up creeping up on the car ahead of you like you take your foot off the brake oh sorry off the gas it starts to slow down and then it gets to the point where it can't slow down anymore and then it engages its automatic creep feature and then it's creeping slowly towards the car in front of you and you just look like an idiot who braked way too soon it's funny, the, the vehicle does have an EV button on the dash, and I was like, why does it have an EV button? <laughs> Sorry, as opposed to what? Yeah, it's not like the sport button, right? Like, it's it's like, 
You're always in EV mode. You don't EV have... mode should be the on-off button for the car. I don't yeah. understand why you have a choice in the matter. So I was curious about this button, and I pushed it. And what it does is it brings you to an EV mode on the infotainment system that shows you a whole bunch of like really distracting stuff that's happening, like power, uh, where the power is flowing, what state the battery's in, all that stuff. But uh, it's funny you mentioned pop-up messages. There's last week we talked about the Subaru Crosstrek, and this is a complete tangent from what we're talking about but there's two things i didn't mention about the car that i'm only remembering now because sammy jogged my memory with this <laughs> with this pop-up thing the first is the crosstrek has engine start stop right like every vehicle on the market but right. it has it has a little gauge on the dash cluster that tells you it pops up and tells you how much fuel you're saving uh over the course of your journey because of auto start stop so I don't like auto start stop very much, so I frequently disable it, especially when it's cold and I want the engine to be generating heat. But during my time with the Crosstrek, it told me I saved 11 milliliters of fuel, Sammy. Oh, wow. So for my my American, for our American audience, one gallon of gas is 3.78 liters and a milliliter is, I think, one one thousandth of a liter. Is that correct, Sammy? Yes. So I saved 11 <laughs> one-thousandths. You're, you're making sure I know the math behind a Well, you're better at math than me. I mean, oh, you yeah. always have been. But it, sure. I, I saved 11 one-thousandths of a liter of fuel. So I don't even want to know how many thousandths of a gallon that is. That's not useful. No. It, it, all we can all we can really provide the report there. The second weird Provide the report. Who speaks like the way provide, I speak right now? <laughs> I think that... <laughs> You sound like a like a poorly written or a hastily written low budget action movie where like <laughs> you would come into the room, you're a military aide or attaché, and you would come into the room with a folder and you'd be like, I'm here to provide the report. And a general would be like, thank you for providing this report. And then you would salute and he would salute and then that eats up however much time they need to get to 90 minutes, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. So the but, other uh, – Yeah, there is no action right now. We're, wait. No, there isn't. <laughs> The other pop-up I wanted to mention uh, is even more baffling. And this one does pop up on its own at a very specific interval. If you're driving the car and the ignition has been on for two hours, you get a screen that shows you on the dash that says ignition has been on for two hours. (laughs) And then it goes away. (laughs) What happens after that? Is there a concern? Well, I kept waiting for something. I thought there would be a consequence (laughs) to having driven for so long. But... Um, I looked it up online after because it kept happening because I was on a road trip with it, right? So it happened on the way there and then on the way back. And I'm like, what is this? What? I don't understand. Apparently, Subaru has programmed that message into the, all of its vehicles, including the Crosstrek, to remind you that you should take a break because you've been driving for two hours. Unfortunately, they didn't tell anyone that that's what that message means. <laughs> so you get this complete thinly veiled threat at times yeah it's like it's a completely context-free message that just appears on your screen seemingly out of nowhere linked to a chronology you're already aware of (laughs) okay i want to talk about the exterior design of the nero which i think is a bit conservative um really almost anonymous it looks kind of like blobby crossovery right like it doesn't look that um, unique. Is it that the does. best way to describe it? No, I, I think you're right. It is anonymous, and the interior is also similar. Uh, it's not particularly thrilling inside. A lot of plastics. Um, nothing that feels cheap, but nothing that feels premium. It's a sub $40,000 car with a bunch of uh, EPA, or sorry, federal tax credits I think you can get with it. 
Okay. But uh, it's it's again, you're buying this car because you want a smooth driving EV. I think, as I mentioned earlier, Kia and Hyundai have done a good job of building those vehicles. This is one of them. You got you've got 201 horsepower, and I think just under 300 pound feet of torque. It's nice. yeah, it's it's quick off the line. You can spin the tires if you want to. Uh, on the highway, it's got that kind of EV thing where it runs out of speed past like 80 miles an hour. Uh, but to get to that point, the torque makes you feel like the acceleration is going to last forever. And then it just kind of goes off a cliff. So <laughs> in, in all situations, it's it's exactly what you would want it to be from a driving perspective. It doesn't handle very well. It pushes hard to the outside of corners when it's cold, uh, even with winter tires on it. It's, it's not a car you're going to want to drive in a spirited manner. But it's not an enthusiast vehicle, so I don't really expect that from it. Um, and I charged the vehicle overnight. I never had any issues. I didn't go on any super long trips with it. Uh, but the battery, the range is very real world. I mean, two hundred. I had 220 miles of range. That's more than enough for almost everything I wanted to do. Um, I, I wouldn't take this on a road trip in the winter because I'm afraid of what the cold might do on a prolonged trip to the range. Okay. You'd have to really plan things out. You'd have to know where your charging stations are. And I wouldn't want to do it casually. But uh, the only aspect of the charging experience I didn't like is on the front. The the charger's on the front of the vehicle instead of the side. That's annoying to me because I back into my parking space at home. I have to run the cable that much farther. I really prefer it when it's on one side or the other. It's just closer to whatever kind of charging station you're going to be at. And for some reason... The uh, there's like a double plug, so like you open up the cover on the front, and then there's another cover you have to take off of the charging. That's kind of annoying, and it fills up with snow pretty easily when it hmm. when when the cover is open. So those are kind of my nits if I was picking them from the Nero EV. But overall, a positive experience, especially for the price. Interesting. Okay. Um, it had the space you needed it to. Did you, could you put tires in the back? No, you're not putting tires in the back of this. You could probably get a couple in with the seats down. Uh, I had a, a, an experience where I had a bunch of books to mail out. My my Code 45 graphic novel, we just completed mailing all of the issues for the second Kickstarter. And I had about, I had about 150 packages in mailbags. And I couldn't fit them behind the seat with the seat up. There's not a lot of room if you have a full load of people in the vehicle. So I put the seats down. I took out the cargo cover, which is kind of annoying in a small crossover. They take up a lot of space. And then I was able to get everything in that I needed to, but it's not particularly spacious in the back. You're probably looking at Volkswagen Golf levels of accommodation or less, especially with the seats up. I think it's like 54 cubic feet in total, but a lot of that happens when you put the seats down. Okay. Interesting. All right. Um, anything else you want to talk about when it comes to the um, Nero uh, Nero Electric? You, like, is there now we we're looking at this almost a similar car as the um, as the Kona Electric and the Soul EV, as we mentioned earlier. Is there a preference? Do you think? Well, I'm driving the Soul EV in a couple of weeks, so. I'm going to be able to tell you then. I've driven the previous generation Soul EV, which didn't have the power or the range that this Kia does, the, sorry, that this Nero does. Um, I like the form factor of the Soul a little better. I suspect it'll be more practical, and I suspect it might also be a bit more comfortable. Okay, cool. Um, then I want to talk about the car that I've been driving recently. Okay. Um, but the problem is I won't get too in-depth with it because we talked um, to, about something very similar to this a, a short while back. Uh, I drove the Mazda 3, 
uh, I specifically the sedan, and unlike the turbocharged model that you drove, I drove the non-turbocharged version of the car, but still a pretty premium version with all-wheel drive. And uh, the intention of this is to compare it to the Elantra, which I'll be doing next week. And I think it's worth talking about this car because the compact car segment has now transformed from being what I thought used to be like really, you know, these are the cars for people who who are maybe um, just, you know, maybe it could be a first car for many people. And I don't think that's the case anymore. There, there's so much variance in this segment. There are really affordable versions. Uh, I mean, really affordable compact cars. There's very premium compact cars. There are sporty ones. There are spacious ones like that don't seem like compact cars altogether. And so where does the Mazda 3 fit in with all of this? So I, I really feel like the compact car segment has kind of become, it, 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 as, it, as you mentioned, there was a time when it was aimed at first car first-time buyers, but right now it almost feels like car companies are suggesting that a compact car might be all you'll ever need. And as a result, they're building cars at every price point in this size. So like you can buy a small car that's super comfortable or super quick or super practical and you get to decide what that is. Instead of in the past where you'd be like, well, I'll start with a compact and then eventually I'll have a full-size sedan and you, you park an Avalon in the driveway or something. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, because um, there are a lot of crossovers out there that I think are becoming that, like, you can just get a cheap crossover now, and then when your life calls for it, you can get a, a much bigger one. Um, and I don't know if that's the case. I, I mean, I think you and I have both agreed that for many for many things, a car does the trick. Um, the Mazda 3 that I'm driving in particular has all-wheel drive, so anybody who's concerned about confidence in, in unsteady conditions will have that that bit of confidence with this um with this version of the car but i need to talk about the i need to talk a little bit about the how do you describe it driving dynamics of this mazda has typically been one of the champions of fun driving um in in the even the compact car segment and this vehicle with its uh, 186 horsepower 186 pound-feet of torque uh, motor sometimes actually doesn't feel that much fun to drive. And I'm really disappointed with that because... What What do you mean? Do you think it's... What, you, you just mentioned the motor. So is it a power thing for you or is it a handling thing? Like It's a bit of both. So let's talk about all of this com- like combining together. First of all, I think um, it's a bit heavier than it used to be. It, and you can really feel that, heavy, that heaviness with the steering and the handling. Um, what used to feel like an agile car just really doesn't feel like that anymore. And I think that's a big um, misstep for for the Mazda three. And I think that might have to do with the latest engine. Maybe it just doesn't it just doesn't feel as punchy as it used to. But you know, when you rev it out, you do get all the power that you need. But otherwise, the car never feels like it wants to it wants to be driven quickly or or um, you know sort of aggressively. Um, and the, that heavy steering really doesn't like encourage you to to pilot it you know, in a a spirited manner. Well, you know, we were talking about the, when I drove the Mazda Turbo, Mazda 3 Turbo, which is also all-wheel drive, about how Mazda's moving away from sporty and kind of trying to embrace a premium feel for its cars. Do you think that the non-turbo version of the all-wheel drive car has that kind of cachet, or do you think it's just kind of not a, do you think you have to go to the turbo to make the all-wheel drive fun? Or do you think that it doesn't matter that the all-wheel drive isn't fun because there's other parts of the car that make up for it? Yeah, I think it's the latter there. The the like I think we need to take away the like 
the old Mazda 3, which was a fun car, which was a, a really nimble kind of like a car you can chuck around. And now we've got a car that is much more premium. And you can see that especially with the design. When you when you look at a Mazda 3, um, at least the interior, I'm not a huge fan of the exterior, but at least when you look in the interior, um, it looks far more premium than I've got to say everything else in the segment. Really? Um, that's that's a strong statement. What else looks better inside than than the Mazda 3? I think it looks great. I think it's, as I mentioned before, I think it's a car that can compete with entry-level luxury fare from BMW and Mercedes. And in fact, I've made that sta- statement in writing as well, if anyone wants to at me. <laughs> I believe we, I, I agree with you. Um, I think it, in fact, in many ways, I think it actually outdoes what um, Mercedes and BMW try to do in their entry-level vehicles. Um, it is a glamorous car, car to sit in. Not everything works very well. We've complained about the infotainment system in the past. Yes. Um, and there, and the decision to use a head-up display, which I really love, a real head-up display, not that kind of like plop, pop-up screen, means that if you get a windshield chip or something like that, it'll be kind of costly to replace, uh, or a cracked windshield, it'll be kind of costly to replace, which is not um, the sort of demographic that, not probably not a cost that I think the demographic associated with a compact car would be comfortable with. Do you know what I mean? I didn't know that windshield chipping would increase the cost for uh, for yeah. I, apparently, I didn't a head up a head up display requires a specific type of reflective glass. Uh, um, that makes sense. I'd never thought about it before, and uh, that can increase the replacement cost. Of course, some people probably get their windshields replaced through warrant uh, insurance. I think you can get that. Where do you so, get your windshields? Like a back alley? Yeah, I mean, yeah, man, some some warehouse by the river. Yeah, there's been some tight times in the Hatchet asshole. That's it's gotta... glass with three S's. You're like, all right, <laughs> just put it in. Don't, um, don't breathe the fumes. But uh, I think that's the, the thing here. You are buying the Mazda 3 for this interior, which really feels um, special. And I think that's it. Um, it's it, The engine, this 2.5 engine groans. Like, it truly does not sound like a happy motor, um, which is awful. I don't know how else, like... I know that's a really weird thing to say, but it just sounds like it never wants to do any, like it sounds uncomfortable well, all who the of time. Us are, who of us are truly happy, Sammy? When was the last <laughs> time you were comfortable? I'm comfortable right now. Are having you? This conversation I think this, I don't think that's argument. true. I don't think that's true. I think I could change that very quickly. <laughs> uh, that's true. You can change that. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, remember I talked about the um, the Corolla SE Apex Edition last week, which had an exhaust kit, which made the car sound kind of lively and fun. And I don't have that same um, experience in the Mazda three. Then there's the steering, which I said was too heavy. Then there's the uh, rear seats, rear seats, and the rear seats space are really really poor um and that's for a compact car so i know we probably had this conversation before should a compact car have rear seat space should that really matter um or would a buyer be better better off getting a crossover or a mid-size sedan well i mean that the answer to that question kind of ties into what we were talking about just beforehand about exactly. the idea that this is a compact car that might be you know it might be enough for you you might not have to upgrade and if that's true then a compact car is going to need to have a usable seat but at the same in the in the second row but at the same time a lot of these compact crossovers are based on the exact same platform so moving up to the crossover isn't going to get you more interior room right so it is curious to see how far the compact car segment 
um, has changed, how much the, the, the compact car segment has changed. This is a still fairly affordable vehicle. It's loaded up at about $26,000 before you, you start looking at the turbo models. Um, and it's pretty well equipped. And again, you will not be disappointed with the interior of this car. It is high end. It feels very good. Um, cheap materials are, are put away um, where you can't hear them or see them. And I love that. But rear seat space is a, is a problem. Um, and uh, the driving joy that Mazda used to be known for is, is no longer present. So you're just getting what feels to me a premium compact car. And I think that's still relevant. But it means that there's a specific section of the compact car segment that Mazda, th that Mazda is going for with this vehicle. And well, I don't I, know if that makes it, like, mainstream. Do you know what I mean? I think the bottom line is Mazda was not making money appealing to enthusiasts with this car. Totally. Yeah, and, that's and, what I mean. And now I agree. Now that they're trying something different, I don't think we should necessarily crucify them for trying something different. Right. Uh, I think it's okay that it's not fun to drive. I mean, we, we talked about the, the Corolla last week, and, you know... The idea – one of the things that you mentioned was who wants a fun-to-drive Corolla? Like who out there is willing to spend this money on this car? And I think that's maybe a question that Mazda asked themselves. They're like, why are we putting so much money into the suspension design of the Mazda 3 if only 3% of our buyers are looking for that from this vehicle? You know, like they don't offer a Mazda Speed 3 anymore and they haven't for a long time. So it's entirely possible that the enthusiasts have moved on to, you know, Volkswagen with the GTI or maybe even Hyundai now with the uh, N-Line vehicles that they have. Right. So if the, if the customer's not in their showroom, why spend the money to attract them if it's a small group of customers to begin with? Okay, so then let's talk about the other cars in this class. Um, I, I've always been Aren't very... Aren't we all-wheel drive cars? No, well, that's difficult. You're right. The, the other all-wheel drive vehicle in this class is the um, Impreza. Yes. Also a decidedly non-sporty car. And also very not premium. Very not premium. So <laughs> very Ma basic. So Mazda has staked out kind of some unique territory here. Right. But then the the popular vehicles in this in this segment are the Corolla and the Civic. They sell bajillions of these cars, right? Yes. And they do it without all-wheel drive. They do it without all-wheel drive. And in the Corolla's case, they do it without being that spacious or, or yeah, I think spacious. To be or fair, even though, premium. To be fair, though, these are two companies that are a billion times bigger than Mazda. Right. And okay. have a and lot Supra. more dealers. And it's, it's a different situation. So sheer numbers, it's not the fairest comparison. But so that's what I'm trying to say is that Mazda, instead of just going toe-to-toe -to -toe with what you know, people who are already going to buy a, a, a Civic or a Corolla, they've now tried to make their own part of the, their own destination in the compact car segment, which yes. is what you're saying. I'm just agreeing with you. I'm just trying to articulate it a little bit differently. Um, and they're saying people will want to come to us for what we, what we offer. What would you buy instead of this car for that money? So that's a spoiler for next week's episode. And I think that's the, the new Elantra is exceptionally good. Like it's very good. Um, it doesn't have the, the G-Wiz interior that the Mazda 3 has, but it has two really wicked um, displays, including a digital gauge cluster. It has this really cool denim uh, materials on the door panels, it, and it drives very well even for a non-turbo CVT-equipped vehicle. You're saying it has a Canadian tuxedo door panel? Yeah, I can't wait to tell you more about it next week, okay? That's so I don't want to spoil it all. Okay, but well, yeah. 
the Mazda 3 is doing what it can without stepping on any other vehicle's toes in its segment. Uh, well, doing what it can is really the only thing any of us can do, Sammy. Well, I mean, it's doing a good job with, with that. Okay. With that mindset. So, uh, anything, any final thoughts on the vehicle? Yeah, you really gotta like what that, in- you really gotta love the the design of a Mazda to really go for it, right? Yeah, like, you have you've to gotta go- like the interior and exterior design. Yeah, and I think that's it. That's what you're buying. Especially the hatch is a little weird looking from certain angles, right? So, if that's the one you want, you have to I'm really cu- go with that. I'm curious if this is just like we're getting familiar with it, and then once we, once it becomes kind of like, uh, commonplace, we're gonna be like, yeah, it's a cool, it's a fine looking car. So like, like, like Chris Bangle BMW era. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the, uh, the original Z4. I, I still can't Z4. I still can't. Uh, I still can't countenance that vehicle. Okay. Um, anything else we want to talk about this week? No, I think I'm good, Sammy. But I would like to let other people know about how they can reach out to us with questions or comments or add us about uh, things that we have discussed or things they want us to discuss. The best way to do that, well, the, there's actually a bunch of ways. You can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and there's a form you can fill out and click send or submit. I can't remember exactly. And that ends up right in our inbox. Uh, you can email me the old-fashioned way, benjamin at benjaminhunting.com, or you can reach out to us on social media. Sammy is on the cesspool that is Twitter. You can find him at Sammy underscore hot, like you're laughing. You can find me on Instagram. I'm at huntingbenjamin. And uh, furthermore, you, when you're on the website, you can easily subscribe to our podcast. It's super, it's super easy. Like, let me tell you how easy it is. There are just a bunch of buttons at the top of the screen. You click on them, bam. Um, it's wonderful. If you go back to early episodes, Sammy will describe how buttons work to you um, in the context of a website. So that's something – if you're hearing – this is your first podcast and you're like, oh, I should go back to the beginning and see how these guys evolved. You're in for a treat, especially if you love UI. <laughs> uh, furthermore, if you really don't like using uh, web pages or buttons, if you you can just search for us in your podcast client and uh, – we should be there. If yeah. we're not, please let us know, and we'll we'll work on it. Okay? We're pretty much everywhere. So Spotify, Apple, Google, all that stuff, CastBox. I think we're not on Stitcher. I think Stitcher's the outlier, Sammy. Yeah. I think I failed the Stitcher entrance exam. Yeah, I think we failed the Stitcher entrance exam. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, we, we definitely wrote in the area where it says, do not write. Do here. not write, and I did not use a, a, uh, an H. <laughs> Number two? Yeah. Whatever it is, yeah. Um, so, uh, next week, Sammy is going to be driving the Elantra spoiled or just a little bit earlier. And I am going to be talking to you about another Kia, the, oh, Sammy, what is it called? The Seltos. Is that correct? That sounds right. All right. So yeah, the Seltos and, um, yeah, we hope that you're there listening with us next week as well. And until then, thank you for listening this week. Take care.